tired of the same boring and unhealthy diet of corporate media propaganda and the distraction du jour? Your antidote is here at Cindy Sheehan's Soapbox. Real, revolutionary, and relevant news and talk with fascinating and brilliant guests. Prepare to be informed and motivated with your friend and host, Cindy Sheehan. I'm your host, Indy Sheehan. This week, we welcome back Janice Corkcamp. Janice is really a tireless witness for the people of the Middle East, especially in Lebanon and Syria, which she has visited each seven times. She just got back from Lebanon, and she has a pretty harrowing account of what is happening there. But we also talk about a wide range of lies, propaganda, ad nauseum. So stay tuned and we'll be right back with Janice Corkkamp. Welcome back to Cindy Sheehan Soapbox. Thank you, Cindy. It's great to be back. We'll remind um, our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I became an independent citizen journalist, uh, particularly regarding the conflict in Syria started back in 2012, and from 2016 to 2019, I made uh, seven trips there during the war covering that, and then and also in the course of that, I've gone to Lebanon also seven times. Wow. What drew you to uh, Syria? Well, it was a couple of things. One, I realized pretty early on that the mainstream media and government were not sharing the full story or most of the story, as a matter of fact. And also, I had come to meet many Syrians online and was getting reports directly from them and developing friendships. And I kind of, uh, I truly fell in love with the country. It's an amazing place, wonderful culture, and the people are just extraordinary, truly. So I felt the necessity to kind of fill in the gap, if you will, between what they were being told over here versus what the actual reality on the ground was over there. Well, it seems like if people care about foreign policy these days, which, um, let's be honest, few people do, they, you know, have lost sight of the U.S. empire and, you know, its dirty deeds all over the world. But if people are paying attention, that it seems like all eyes are focused on Afghanistan right now. So where do you see Syria? Where is Syria right now? Yeah, I think this is an opportunity when people are seeing the debacle and catastrophes going on in Afghanistan and that mess to use it as a window for them to see how this is standard operating procedure in all these U.S. wars, you know, lies, corruption, propaganda, repeated ad nauseum, truly. And so in, in Syria right now, although most of the military battles are basically done for the time being, uh, they still have the Idlib province to deal with, which is controlled by al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups. 
they still have the illegal U.S. coalition occupation of a third of their ser- of their lands, which not coincidentally hold the the largest oil fields there, and the an illegal uh, occupation by Turkey and Turkish troops, as well as the illegal squatting on the Golan by Israel. So there's still plenty of military mess to clean up. But the the hardest part right now is their economy is in sh- in shreds. It's absolutely tattered. People aren't seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, U.S. and European sanctions um, have really strangled the economy there and the efforts of rebuilding. And it's just a very very trying situation for the people. Um, well, you just recently returned from. I guess your seventh trip to Lebanon and um, what, what drew you there? What is happening there in regards to the whole, you know, uh, connected situations in the Middle East? Sure. You know, most of us who've been studying this knew that Lebanon was also on the list of what we call the seven countries in five years plan revealed by General Wesley Clark back Uh in um, and it, Lebanon is imploding, and it's a terrible, tragic situation brought about by the games of the U.S. empire, led empire, and internal corruption, which always gets uh, exacerbated in, in times of pressure. And so you have a, a situation right now in Lebanon, which for American audiences would be akin to the, the bank crash of 1929, absolutely devastating economic situation. They're, they have almost no economy left and people are desperate. So um, what, what do you think like people that are listening to the show, what do you think that we should be uh, working on, focusing on? Well, you know, the first and foremost is to educate ourselves and to be coming at our opinions in foreign policy in a knowledgeable way and compassionate way. Because these people in these countries are not our enemies. They are not our, the enemies of our freedoms. Uh, the cover stories that are used to justify aggressions, whether it be outright military invasion and occupation or supporting uh, proxy militant forces or the economic warfare that's particularly popular right now which are these uh, devastating sanctions and embargoes and blockades uh, like we're seeing in Yemen, for example. Uh, these are literally a slow death and torturous death for entire populations. Uh, we're doing this against Iran as well, Venezuela and others. So people need to be aware and they need to be active about uh, being against these horrific policies that are self-defeating for us and horrifically catastrophic for these other countries. I recommend people, you know, be active online and and really go after especially media outlets for their lies or their unwillingness to talk about these issues and report on them. When did you start going to Syria? What year was that? It was in May 2016. 
Okay, so um, Obama was still president. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so so what do you see, like, the difference is now you, you've been doing this through uh, the end of one Democrat administration, uh, uh, entire Republican administration, and the beginning of another Democrat administration. Do you see any, can you compare and contrast the policies and what's going on with your your personal knowledge visiting um, Lebanon and Syria all through this time period. Sure, and this is a theme that you've brought up many times: is that the foreign policy decisions and and actions don't really change very much. Um, so, for example, under G.W. Bush, it was that administration that began a covert war against Syria. That's when the sanctions started. That's when they were working with the Muslim Brotherhood and Saudi Arabia and others to foment sectarian distrust and hatred within Syria, for example. Um, and then Obama, under Obama, it flared into violence in 2011 and, and continued through his administration. Um, I think... And then Trump, you know, he made some little tweets here and there about wanting to get out. But in effect, in reality, he had the worst advisors, uh, many of them neocon leftovers. And and his policies and actions were just as bad as anybody else's and more chaotic and schizophrenic even. And then under Biden, you know, we have basically a continuation of of these these policies and actions with the exclusion of this recent pullout of Afghanistan, um, which was, you know, not done in any good way. So we have a situation where, sadly, with George, under George W. Bush, at least there was a strong anti-war movement. But when Obama started right. his regime change addiction and destroyed Libya and started destroying Syria and Yemen and all these others, um, the anti-war movement just kind of dried up and blew away. And it, it never has recovered that momentum. It's pathetic, really. I think um, my like theory is that Obama was put in there to, I, I mean, it really started in 2006 when Nancy Pelosi won a Speaker of the House. And there was still a Republican in the White House, but the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi had the, had the majority in the House of Representatives, and they did everything they could to not uh, hold George Bush accountable or stop the war. So, and that's when the Democrats started, the Democrats on the ground started thinking, hmm, we can't really focus on foreign policy because it just really highlights how um, hypocritical the Democrats are and how, you know, if we highlight foreign policy. As a matter of fact, I was told by um, this old anti-war group called United for Peace and Justice in 2008 when Obama was first running for president, it was the fifth anniversary of the um, invasion of Iraq and we wanted to hold a demo in DC and they said we won't participate because that will embarrass the Democrats mm. so <laughs> I know but um, well you have you know Washington I live not too far from the city and it's uh -huh. it's run by quid pro quo 
bribes, blackmail, bullying, brainwashing. I mean, it really is a hive of villainy. And the corruption runs so deep. And of course, I try to explain to people that want to put all the onus on whatever POTUS is in, in the office at any given time. But the United States war machine empire, which spans the globe, um, is like a massive uh, aircraft carrier or cruise ship. And it doesn't operate on four-year election cycle circuses, <laughs> you know. Right. The people really running the show never appear on a ballot. And and this is what we have to come to grips, grips with as a country. Right, exactly. But when you were talking about Obama, I mean, Biden, <laughs> there we could just, you know, exchange, you know, the names. They're easily inter-exchangeable or whatever. Um, when he pulled out from, he really like the, the withdrawal was so chaotic that the U S is now bombing it again. And, uh, so I think it was like a bait and switch. It's like, eh, we'll pretend to withdraw, but then it'll be so bad. We can't withdraw. And so the, there's just, uh, I don't see much change in Afghanistan, even though, um, Biden pretended to withdraw. The same w with uh, Obama and Iraq. And Iraq literally became this like base camp for terrorists to go into Syria and you know um, other places. And and so the U.S. never really withdraws from anywhere. There were uh, many. Uh, Eric, uh, the Blackwater guy, Eric Prince, yeah. many of his people were just changed places with U.S. troops in Afghanistan also. Yeah, I just heard he had a new racket going on of charging people $6,500 a pop to evacuate them out of Afghanistan. You know, he's always willing to make a buck from, from war. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things people can look to and that I'm watching, it doesn't necessarily mean this is going to happen, but after Obama, you know, quote unquote, pulled the troops out of Iraq, of course, we had incubated ISIS in our Camp Buka prison system there. Um, and then a few years later, you know, the war erupted in Syria. And then a few years after that, uh, ISIS uh, took control of Mosul, where the Iraqi army had basically dropped their weapons and left them all of this equipment. And then ISIS immediately moved into Syria in these huge parades across the open desert. I mean, miles of weapons and fighters and stuff moving into Syria. And then um, they took over the third of Syria's land that the U.S. is now illegally occupying. And one of the things that came out under the Obama administration was how ISIS and al-Qaeda were used as assets in that conflict. And it, they just provided this very convenient pretext for the illegal U.S. coalition to, to go into Syria and now control those lands. And you know, the U.S. is not fighting ISIS in Syria. It's ridiculous. They're, they're their justification for being there. 
And so they, what they've actually done is prohibited Syria and its allies from actually defeating ISIS there. So it's the games are just so dirty and nasty and evil. And uh, this is another thing that Americans really have to come to grips with and stop believing the propaganda about how these troops are fighting for our freedoms and blah, blah, blah. None of it is true. It's not true. Well, what freedom? <laughs> Actually, you know, now we have to get uh, get jabbed with an experimental drug uh, to participate in society. And not everybody and not everywhere, but, you know, I think that it it will be, um, you know, it will spread everywhere or to travel, you know, to be able to have the freedom to uh, go someplace. So I think that we need to talk about that, too, is like, even if we have freedom and democracy in the United States, which, you know, democracy is, is a joke, freedom is uh, questionable. So even if that's a that's the thing we need to be talking about. You know, we're uh, allegedly invading these other countries to spread freedom and democracy when those are very um, questionable in this this country. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, uh, like you've seen and I've seen, the same tactics are used here against the people. And, you know, we're seeing the national security state is the twin of the military-industrial intelligence complex. And it goes hand in hand. The more, um, you know, we're seeing more and more of our freedoms eroding almost daily, and people aren't putting the two together. Uh, We are a military empire national security state, and that should chill people to their bones. That does to me. Well, you know, and obviously the same people who lied us into these wars, the media, you know, like you said, the military industrial intelligence complex. Is that what you just said? Yeah, that's you know, how Yeah, they all lied us. Uh, Congress, uh, the media, you know, they uh, con- consistently, constantly lie about, um, for example, Assad. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Assad, uh, Gaddafi, Saddam Hussein, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, I mean, you, you've been there, you know the truth. So I'm not saying we know the total truth about uh, these people, but we obviously know whatever the U.S. media and um, politicians are saying are lies. And so they're lied about that. They lied about every war that the U.S. has gotten into um, in its entire history has had some element of, of lying and manipulating facts and false flags and things like that. So why would they be telling the truth about what's going on here in the United States? Yeah, it makes no sense to even think that they would. Um, I think they're, because there is far more scrutiny of what they say here, they may be more... Um, even more devious and yeah. more, uh, 
hard to break through the lies uh, and the sub- and even the subtle manipulations here than there is about you know most Americans could never pick Syria out on a map to save their lives, um, so they know nothing. But here it's a little different story, and you know. But then again, we had I think it was John Kerry it's, who said it's it's tough to govern people when there's the internet. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I think uh, the reason why so many of us are getting censored and blocked and this and that is, is because we are making a difference and we are getting truth out there and it is threatening to them. Um, I'm on my fifth Facebook ban this year. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like five months out of eight months. I haven't been on, been able to uh, share uh, and it's been like, this has been a critical year for almost everything. Like right now, all this stuff going down in Afghanistan, um, California is having a recall election. California is literally burning down. We had to reschedule our interview from yesterday because I could barely talk because of all the smoke. And we're, you know, two and a half hours, three hours away from the fire the actual fire, but the smoke is um, causing all kinds of, uh, you know, hazardous conditions. And, you know, I can't even like share my opinion or share uh, alternative things to what Facebook wants everybody to believe. And so it just, it just thinks, it just makes me think that Look at the people that aren't allowed to speak and what they're saying. And there may be more than a grain of truth in what uh, those of us who are censored are trying to share. Absolutely. You know, these things are complex. The, The COVID situation in particular is still very new. And, you know, most of us have this rational understanding that science is a process and there's there are huge debates amongst scientists about the most tiny minutia points about all of these things. And we need to be open to listening to other points of view. And we're all basically on our own to navigate our way through this. You know, it's, uh, I was describing the other day how uh, one of our dearest, closest friends, he's a physicist. He got vaccine. He, he, wasn't enthusiastic about it, but it made him so sick. His Lyme disease came back with a vengeance. Yeah. And uh, meningitis, he was hospitalized and all these things. You know, people are not hearing about the risks involved. And this is, it's absolutely absurd to just be told, oh, here's a free pizza, get the jab, when, you know, people really need to understand that there are risks and to make up their own minds. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I just saw that the California legislature did not approve uh, uh, vaccine passports. They have, they just tabled it for this year. And I'll tell you why they tabled it for this year. They didn't vote on it. It has never even, they weren't even going to go through the process of, hearings and debate and things like that they were supposed to vote on it yesterday but um if they voted for these vaccine restrictions whatever you want to call them uh newsom definitely would have lost the recall so they tabled it for the rest of this year which gives us some breathing room to try and 
you know, forestall it, to keep it from happening. And it's also what I find, Janice, is that even if you're not, like, banned from social media, if you, if you like, go on, like, I have a different point of view to most liberal people about um, coronavirus and the and the jabs and things like that, but I'm not coming from I'm not coming at it as a Trump supporter or Republican. I hate that very narrow, shallow analysis. If you don't agree with uh, all the coronavirus mandates and and um, like you said, uncritical uh, acceptance of this uh, experimental injection then you must be a trump supporter and they don't even uh, they didn't i come back with well wasn't trump the one who developed it under his administration you know so that it's like even if you're not banned they have ways of undermining you and demeaning you and shutting off your message well you know i think we we need to be considered lucky to be just called trump supporters and uh you know I think you know how much I railed against that guy when he was in office. But did you see what Arne Duncan just tweeted? What was it yesterday? Uh-uh. Uh, he said, uh, and this is Obama's former secretary right. of education. Thank have you, you for clarifying that. Have you noticed how strikingly similar both the mindsets and actions are between the suicide bombers at Kabul's airport and the anti-mask and anti-vaccine? No, he did not say that. It's better. He says they blow themselves up, inflict harm on those around them, and are convinced they are fighting for freedom. What? (laughs) Wow. So now, you know, anyone who questions any of this is not just a Trump supporter, uh, QAnon cultist, but now we are likened to the terrorists in Afghanistan that blew up the airport. Wow, that's appalling. Well, you know, they did um, put anti-vaxxers and people who question election results as terrorists. They They did mention that. Well, this is something, again, you know, those of us who have been following these these foreign wars have seen these tactics, like I said. One is there are masters at dividing a population, absolutely masters at getting people at each other's throats. Um, And they're also masters at, um, uh, shoot, I just lost that whole train of thought. That's okay. Rats. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> but yeah, this this whole divisive thing um, is truly something that they will use to get the get us distracted from the powers that be who are who are making these horrible policies and put it on one another. Well, it's divide and conquer. Like you said, they're using the same tactics here in the U.S. that they use when they um, invade and occupy a country is getting the, the um, citizens of that country fighting each other instead of fighting the um, occupiers. Yep, exactly. And we need to be wary of that. And, um, you know, it, it's a shame because 
you know, it is hard for people to put any focus on foreign policy right now with all of these things going on here. And I totally understand that. Um, and at the same time, there's so much, first, uh, the resources that are dedicated to stealing, killing, and destroying in other countries, we could so dearly use here for our own issues and problems. Um, uh, but but again, there are so many lessons to be learned from understanding those conflicts that will, that do impact us on a daily basis. Well, I heard, uh, I um, read a statistic that every day of the 20 year occupation of Afghanistan, the US spent $310 million. And so um, where did all that money go to? And it's the same thing with pushing all these vaccines on people. Other people, a few people are getting enormously wealthy on the wars and on this um, so-called war against COVID or whatever you want to call it. Just You just have to follow the money. And I think if you follow the money far enough, it begins to converge into the same people. You know, yeah, of course. And it gets complicated because when you're dealing with something like a pharmaceutical company, and you and I both know that, you know, the big ones all have rap sheets that read like a mafia's for, for many situations. You know, and at the same time, people are like, hey, I take this medication, I take this medication. Right. Um right. And they've helped them, you know, so it it does get complicated. And I think those of us who are urging people to really dig in and understand better, uh, we can uh, acknowledge that it is complicated and confusing, that there are medications done by these companies that have helped people. And then there are others where they've had to pay gigantic lawsuits for. Oh, they're mass, they're mass murderers, and you know, they're, uh, you know, they have. If they haven't murdered people, they've actually harmed a lot of people. So there just has to. There's no government oversight over it. The FDA is just a rubber stamp, basically, exactly. and so the FDA has to. There has to be more rigorous testing and more rigorous, uh, you know, applications of these drugs before they let them get out into the public. And it seems like the FDA is just, like I said, this rubber stamp organization for big pharma. We know capitalists are going to be capitalists, and we, but we don't have any, any uh, oversight yeah. on these people. Yeah, there's no true oversight. And you know, people need to understand they're in it for the profits. That's why they're in business. And they do not care if we live or die. They care about their profits. And that creates a scenario for disaster. And we saw that with the opioid crisis, for example. Oh, absolutely. And that all ties into what we're talking about yeah. today, the 20-year occupation of Afghanistan, the increase in the opioid opioid crisis that's a hard thing to say opioid crisis mm -hmm. here in the u.s it's just all so tied in together 
Yeah, when the, when the U.S. invaded Afghanistan, Afghanistan didn't even rate on the list of illicit drug uh, suppliers. And now they're number one. This is one of the horror, many horrible things we've accomplished, quote unquote, in 20 years. Well, and people also need to understand that the CIA is one of the biggest drug um, kingpins in the world. So they use they use these drugs. They used them um, in Central America to fund their their uh, evil campaigns. They used them in Afghanistan to fund their evil. So you know that's it's just all tied together. We really, like you said, we really can't separate any of this. Exactly. You know, people have to be very skeptical and and cynical, and it, it's not a pleasant way to live. To be honest, it can be brutal uh, to relate to what's going on in this way. But, you know, enough is enough. People have to wake up to these things or we're just um, we're just victims. Well, Janice Courtcamp, I'm really glad that you're in this world with us and that you are, you know, using your incredible intellect and energy to try and make the world a better place and being a witness um, for the people, especially of Syria and Lebanon. Well, thank you, Cindy. You know, I love you and admire you and thank you. You've been in the trenches so much longer than I have and I so appreciate that. Is there any um, thing you want to add or any place people can go to, um, you know, see more of your adventures and sure um i have a website it's called syriaresources.com and that's an archive it's a library of all kinds of not just my writings but all kinds of resources supporting what i'm saying about syria and i always invite everyone to follow my facebook page it's just janice court camp and um, they'll get news every day uh, of, about these, uh, particularly the foreign conflicts. I like to just keep focusing on that specifically because that's where my main experience is. So I, I really hope that they will. Well, Janice, again, thank you so much for being on the Soapbox this week. Thank you, Cindy. for this week. As always, I hope you were informed and inspired to do further research and maybe hit the streets or hit the internet to expose the lies, propaganda, ad nauseum that we are subjected to on a daily basis, many times every day. And as always, I'd like to thank my engineer, Don DeBar. I'd like to thank Janice for her work and for being back on the Soapbox. And I'd like to thank you for listening. I'm Cindy Sheehan. You have been listening to the Soapbox. Peace out for now. Mm-hmm.